Hello and welcome to Cradle to the Grave. I am your host, Eric, and this is a very special bonus episode. I recently had the pleasure of chatting with Rodney Barnes. Rodney is an American screenwriter and producer. He's written and produced The Boondocks, Everybody Hates Chris, Marvel's Runaways, American Gods, Wu-Tang, An American Saga, and is currently the executive producer-writer on HBO's Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. In 2017, Barnes ventured into writing for his first love, comic books. Released by Image Comics in 2019, Philadelphia, illustrated by Jason Sean Alexander, was met with critical success and otherworldly sales. He followed that up with Marvel Comics' The Mandalorian, his latest graphic novel, Blackula Return of the King, released by his own imprint, Zombie Love Studios, is a continuation of the story set by those classic 1970s films starring the late, great William Marshall. I had a blast talking with Rodney about the horror genre and nerding out about comic books. I hope you all enjoy the chat. Rodney, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm a big fan of your work, and I appreciate you taking the time to come by, chat about horror movies with me. Um, mm-hmm. How are things going, man? I know you're a busy guy. I see, I see you out there. I saw you on Netflix the other day. They were yeah. the crowd at the Chris Rock special, and there you were. <laughs> there I was. I get around. I get around. <laughs> well, cool. So things have been pretty good for you? Not bad. Can't complain. Just really busy, which is a good thing in my business. It's either a feast or famine. And <laughs> right now things are okay. A lot of work. Well, I'm good to hear things are going good for you. Now, I know that you have a, a love for horror. My first time guests, I always ask them, you know, hey, are you a fan of horror movies? And I know you're a fan of horror, but what I'm interested in is when it all started for you. When did you know that the genre of horror was something that um, sunk its hooks into you, that, that, that you knew this was for you? Was there a moment, you know, in your past where you can point to and say, that's when it all began for me? I can tell you an area. When I was a kid, uh, I grew up in the um, I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland, which is outside of uh, Baltimore and D.C., Mm-hmm. And Channel 20 was, they had a Count Gore Vidal. Mm-hmm. And that was our late night creature feature Saturday night guy who would have uh, the Universal Monster movies and them. Sure. And I was a teenage werewolf and all of those kinds of movies that you know, were made before I was born. But I fell in love with them. Count Gore Duval, and tonight, tonight I bring you a movie that wouldn't die. 
No one's quite figured out why it wouldn't die. But it's about the brain that wouldn't die. And that led to those Aurora models of uh, Frankenstein yep. and Wolfman, and you had to paint them and you know do a lot of the work. Mm -hmm. um, and Famous Monsters magazine, and um, you know just uh, anything that was of that time that had to do with horror. I mean, even the Mark Tomb of Dracula, you know, yes. the comic books, and Mike Plug, who was incredible on Werewolf yeah. by Night. He was the artist of Werewolf, and Bernie Wrightson, and those guys. Gene Colan, who Gene drew Colan, uh, Tomb um, of Dracula. Yeah, Tomb of Dracula, and um, just really, really loved all of it, I think. And then, then, then I do remember a seminal moment. Um, they used to have paperback books on spinner racks in mm -hmm. bookstores. And I remember seeing this book, Carrie, and I don't know <laughs> yeah. why I reached up and I'm six, eight. So if I reached up, <laughs> I was a kid and I reached up and I, I picked it up and I remember opening it up and it had all these reviews, like in the paperbacks that used to have like three pages of like uh, New York Times. This is the scariest book ever. And blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right. And as a kid, you know, I fall prey to marketing. If everybody else says it's good, it must be really, really good. Sure. And so built the love affair that exists to this day between myself and um, great Stephen King. Carrie started out as a as a short story it to did. a magazine. It did. It just grew a little bit too long. And I threw it away and my wife fished it out and said, this is sort of amusing you want to go on with this and so i did is that exactly what she said no it isn't exactly what she said she said it was really good um i think i've read just about everything um to the point where there's a story i won't indulge you in the story about how i met him <laughs> oh you met I'm, stephen king i have a picture on Instagram. oh man i'm stephen jealous king. and um you know if you want to hear it i'll tell i'll tell the story but you know it's on you i want to hear it all right. So um, <laughs> I was working on a movie as a production assistant, um, Stigmata, with Gabriel Byrne and Nia Long. Yeah, and, um, I know it. So I found out that the Green Mile was going to be filming um, in the near future, you know, at the time. And they were looking for large black men. And I checked the box of a very large black man and to play John Coffey. Uh -huh. And... I found out that the transportation captain on Stigmata was going to be leaving that show to go on to the Green Mile. So that meant an end. That was the connection. That somehow that uh, if I could get him to put in a good word for me, you know, maybe I'd get a shot and getting in front of Frank Darabont, who directed the movie, and who mm -hmm. knows what would happen. Never acted in my life. You know, popped up in a couple of things. And so I bugged this guy every single day. And he said, look, 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 I, I don't know the guys like that. I'm just a transport guy. But look, this is what I can do for you. I've got a 1939 paddy wagon that I've got to take to Darabont to show him the picture card. It's going to be in the movie. It's going to take John Coffey to prison. If you want to get in the back of that, I can justify that you're a large black man in the back of a paddy wagon. You can get out of the paddy wagon once they see it and see you in proximity to it. Then you can state your case. Okay. So I did it. And, but the only problem is when you get in a 1939 paddy wagon, by the time you get to Warner Brothers Studios, you look like an inmate because there are no shock absorbers. There's no air conditioning. Like a rough ride, rough ride. A very, very rough ride in, in Southern California in the summertime. Oh, man. So, uh, and I'm grabbing the little bars like I look like an inmate on the side. So 
we get there. And it's Frank Darabont, David Valdez, and the production manager are waiting for this car. Like, I can see them through the little bars. And I don't wait. I jump right up, scare the hell out of everybody. And the transport guy gets like, no, no, no. He starts explaining, like, why I'm there, why there's a large black man back in this paddy wagon. And Frank Darabont, because he is a, he used to be a production assistant, he got it. He understood my enthusiasm for wanting to be a part of this movie and wanting to meet Stephen King. That was the whole purpose behind all of it. Uh -huh. And so they hired me on the spot to be the stand-in for um, uh, who would eventually be Michael Clark Duncan. Michael Clark Duncan, yeah. So uh, I was a stand-in on that movie from beginning to end. and um, That's awesome. Eventually met Stephen King and he signed all my books and there's a big picture of me and Stephen King over my fireplace. So there you go. That's a great story. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm picturing you in, in the back of that paddy wagon, man. Oh, it was horrible. It was terrible. <laughs> it sounds a little traumatizing. I scared me. If I could have seen me, I would have scared me. Man, it's, you grew up in the '70s, right? And I, I did. Yeah, Stephen King was such a man. I mean, when he hit, he hit in what? Carrie came out in '75, I think, and then the movie came out in '76. Yep. Uh, that was a sea change in everything yep. in, in the genre and. What do you think was one of your favorite? If you had, if you had to pick one Stephen King book to read on a desert island, which one would you pick? That's a tough one. I mean, it if I'm going to be one. on this island for a while, I'd say The Stand because it's the longest <laughs> yes. that I've enjoyed. But um, the uncut Stand version of The Stand, of course. I think um, you know, The Stand, The Shining, Salem's Lot. Those early books grabbed me because they were mm -hmm. all great. The Dead Zone. You know, I wasn't as much a big Firestarter and Cujo guy, mm. but then Pet Cemetery came, I believe, after that, and yeah, that Pet was, was like that was terrifying. Yeah, yeah, that was terrifying. It's one so, of the scary ones. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it was weird that um, you know, and I would read them even if it wasn't like my favorite one. I'd read it just because I got this weird love affair. You know, once I once you got me, you got me, and um. <laughs> You know, but those early ones, I'd say the stand, you know, because it's like a journey. You know, mm -hmm. I'd never read a book that long before voluntarily. And, um, you know, it's a relationship you make with a book that long. Yeah. That yeah. story, you know, well, so epic. For my podcast, so it's called Cradle to the Grave. Basically, I'm starting in 1971, the year I was born, and taking 10 horror movies from each year of my life and getting guests to come on and chatting about and it's been a blast because I get to revisit all these old seventies films that I, you know, grew up with some I've never seen before. And I was, I'm amazed at the amount of really cool vampire movies that came out in the seventies. Mm -hmm. um, I know you're a fan of vampires. I am. Um, <laughs> but I think... horror, horror in general, like I've seen some really weird, like early West deadly friend and deadly mm -hmm. blessing and those movies, like these fringe ones that no one's seen before except me, but continue. <laughs> you know, I was just going to say like, for me, like the vampire genre, uh, sub genre of horror is my favorite. Mm -hmm. um, Salem's lot. My favorite Stephen King book. One of my favorite um, miniseries for me too. Yeah, that miniseries um, was incredible. For its time, if you thought you could never be frightened by a television movie, watch what happens to the citizens of Salem's Lot. Is something evil killing the people in Salem's Lot, or are they killing each other? Run! No! A terrifying three-hour special movie presentation Tuesday. Watch it with someone you trust. This is CBS.
Because Kolshak the Night Stalker and Night Strangler came right around, written by the late great Richard Matheson. Yep. Those two sort of were in the same era. And they mm-hmm. that was another thing. It's like every once in a while when the horror thing wanes, something comes in to get me back in. Like Godfather <laughs> yeah. 3, they pull me back in. <laughs> no, yeah. Ah, man, that Sam's Lot miniseries in 79 uh, really just terrified me. It might might have been the scariest thing I've ever watched. You oh, know? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Even today when I rewatched that film, I get chills. There are some scenes in there. Those push-in shots oh, and when he's floating at the window and the little Danny Glick and uh, Ralphie and yeah. it's Iconic, um, iconic scenes, terrifying yeah. scenes and scenes that have not been replicated in not, very many Not movies. in a good way. Not in a good not way. Exactly. People try. You but, know they're coming out with a new Salem's Lot this year. Yeah, I know James Wan produced it. Um, and I, I have high hopes for it. I hope they pull it off. I'm going to go in open-minded, but it's like every time I get excited about a remake. I mean, the first It, I loved. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the second one was kind of, I don't like, it's, it's a weird relationship between comedy and um, horror for me. I'm more of the guy that likes the joke to come within the scene. Mm-hmm. because of the tension within the scene not purposefully to make a funny scene if that makes sense it does make sense um you mentioned kolchak the night stalker that's one yep. of my favorite films um so every year that i've been going through on the podcast i i pick my favorite as the number one and the night stalker from 1972 came out as the, my number one pick of that year Oh, Jack. Shelley Forbes has got to be his fifth victim. Look at the way her dog was killed. You'll never give up, do you? What do you mean? I mean, this is unacceptable. Unacceptable? Oh, Jack, I'm very close to firing you. Even though the owner of this paper has a soft spot in his head for has-been big city reporters. I am tired of your pressure, Jack. I'm tired of the owner's pressure. I'm tired of the pressure from all around me to blow the story up on the one hand and keep it under wraps on the other. I am tired of being the middleman, Jack. Do you understand that? Can you understand that? What do you want, Vincenzo? A testimonial from Count Dracula? Out! Get out! What is this out, out, get out, get out game we play? This nut thinks he is a vampire. He has killed four, maybe five women. He has drained every drop of blood from every one of them. Now, that is news, Vincenzo. News! And we are a news paper. We are supposed to print news, not suppress it. You know darn well why we're soft peddling this thing. That no, it, it was over me. deliverance, you know, or, or I think or straw dogs. One of those movies, you know, like a big uh, I rather watch I rather watch 1972 made for TV movie starring mm-hmm. Darren McGavin. Yep. I rather that movie, ah, that's one of my favorites. How do you feel uh, about the night stalker? You have great taste. I'm glad I came on now. Uh, you know, the, whatever reservations that may have had have been dispelled. Uh, you've got great taste. Uh, I just wrote one of the stories in the 50th anniversary. Um Kolchak uh, book. Uh, the graphic novel? The graphic novel. Um, yeah. Love Kolchak. Um, and the reason I love Kolchak is those two movies of the week, The Night Stalker and The Night Strangler. Um, mm-hmm. I was so happy when they became a series. I wasn't as much a fan of the series after a while because it was like, okay, you're running out of monsters. It got a little hokey yeah, there towards it, the yeah, end. Yeah, towards the end, even though they had some really great legendary writers on that show. Yes. But, um, but those first two, the Richard Matheson ones, were incredible. The tone, it was this weird tone that I hadn't seen in horror to that point of 
like I said a moment ago about comedy and horror, like Darren McGavin had the right tone absolutely or that guy who did that thing and when they did the remake i thought that was the problem it's like you made it so dark and so dreary you mm-hmm. need the darren mcgavin character you need that coal shack he's not just a paranormal investigator it's the way he does it's the way he lives he's yep. the sort of guy that'll only be in a city for a little while he's coming he's leaves gonna do his werewolf thing or whatever and he's off to another place because he's gonna get fired it's like um <laughs> You know, and only Darren McGavin can capture that. And I think that's been the issue with trying to find someone who can come in and capture that tone to do a remake, because it really is as much tonally. Mm -hmm. And I think to Richard Matheson's writing as well. Um, And I know Dan Curtis uh, directed it and, you know, it's a legend within as well. But, um, you know, up until that point, horror for me had either been really, really serious and trying to scare the hell out of you or really, really campy mm-hmm. and trying to be tongue in cheek. And this was a weird mixture of pushing the boundaries of what network television could do and really, really evolving, moving the needle in what I think um, what horror could be. Yeah, I've I've been championing the Night Stalker for years. I mm-hmm. I would have to stay up late because it they always played it like at midnight on Channel Two or something, you know. So I had to like stay up late to me, catch it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know who could play? You know, I was thinking, you know, you talk about me doing a remake of the Night Stalker. What about Sam Rockwell as as Clark Holchek? He has that. That's vibe. a good one. He has that. He was in the Green Mile as well. Um, he was. He's Wild Bill, but um, that's right. Yeah, I think he could do it. You know, I think um, he is every mannish enough to be mm-hmm. able to pull that off. You know, the weird thing, though, is I don't know what journalism is in today's world. True. It's like there are no newspapers anymore. Um, you know, everybody does it on the Internet. I know, you know, you could make that adjustment. I've done it in a couple of things. Mm-hmm. But I think certainly for that tone that we're talking about comedically. Um, yeah, for sure. Now, another vampire movie came out in 1972 that kind of changed the game. Um, Blackula. Oh, yeah. I've heard of it. <laughs> You've heard of that one? You shall pay, Black Prince. I curse you with my name. You shall be Blackula. Blackula. The Black Avenger. <laughs> Rising from his tomb to fill the night with horror. Blackula, Dracula's soul brother. Deadlier even than he. You know, he is a strange deal. You're a nut that ran in front of my cab. You're the only imbecile on this street. Blackula. <laughs> Look at man, you find I mean, you got to be around here somewhere. I mean, now listen, well, you take your hands off of me. I don't know you. He thirsts for your blood. He hungers for your soul. Warm young bodies will feed his hunger. Hot, fresh blood will quench his awful thirst. Thank you. Bloody Mary. <laughs> Are you um, into the occult? No! How about the uh, heavy stuff? What do you think of vampires? Vampires? 
I think they're possibly the most fascinating ball. More horrifying than Dracula. The Black Avenger. Black Dracula. From American International Pictures. Uh, uh, along with the with uh, the Night Stalker, it brought the vampire into modern day, which is one of the, was one of the first vampire movies to do that before mm-hmm. that you know so for the most part dracula movies vampire movies they took place you know in the gothic castles and the, and the this you know the the london fog countryside or whatever but count yorga count yeah. yorga was another one that was 71 yeah. So, yeah. yeah so yorga blackula and a night stalker yeah all of a sudden vampires started showing up modern day yeah and i and i love that i and and blackula Scared the ever living shit out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> that scene running down the hallway when you when they got attacked. Oh my the god! You that mentioned the, uh, creature features. You you grew up watching uh, like uh, you had a program where they showed a lot of films. We had one here in California called Creature Features, hosted by Bob Wilkins. And in the intro to his show, they showed that scene from Blackula of the nurse. It was not yeah. a nurse, but the the taxi driver lady who got yes, turned. Yes, yes. She's true. running down yeah. the hallway yeah. in slow motion. They show, and well, I'd have it, to hide my eyes every time. <laughs> it's funny because I'm trying. I'm connecting with William Crane now, uh, who directed it. Oh, and nice. I want to ask him because the tension between she's in the morgue and she's been in the refrigeration unit for a minute, so she's thawing out and she's sweating like the condensation is running down her face as she's on the table so it sets it up that something's about to happen mm-hmm. like the tension before we get to that so run down the hall thing it was really it was good the way it was built up but yeah i for me blackula was this um it came along at the right again you know one day if i if there is something on the other side of this life and i can ask hey did you plan for me to to love this stuff because um <laughs> i remember it was weird. I, I, My mother was looking for, my parents broke up when I was really young and my mother decided I needed a stepfather. I was becoming a little unruly and I was still in the single digits uh, age wise. And uh, I used to, I became a part of her dates. Like when she would vet guys who were potential fathers, I would come on a date, which I'm sure they hated. And um, so I could pick the date because the guy was trying to curry favor with me as well. And I remember seeing the trailer for Blackula, and trailers were different back then. It was Adolf Caesar saying, he's a really bad guy, and he'll come out in the night and blah, blah, blah. It was, it was yeah. perfect. It's like the best 30 seconds uh, to grab a kid like me forever. So I remember my mother saying, you know, there's this guy who wants to take me out. We're going to the movies. What would you like to see? Blackula. Got to see this Blackula. And up until that point, I hadn't really seen Black people be part of the narrative for any of the movies that I'd loved. Certainly mm-hmm. not the Hammer films right. and the Universal films. You might get a cab driver or somebody, you know, he ran that way. You know, that was the best <laughs> you were going to get. And so he found at the Hippodrome Theater, which ironically was where Chris Rock did his stand-ups in Baltimore, uh-huh. uh, used to be a movie theater. And so... We found Blackula, went to Blackula, and it was this incredible experience because it's the first time I'd been in a horror in, in a horror movie in a theater full of black people. 
And it was that interactive experience where people talked to the screen and threw popcorn at the screen <laughs> and screamed at the right moments. Right. And as a kid, this is incredible to me. This is the greatest thing. Now I go to the movies, I want everybody to be completely comatose. <laughs> That's true. But back then, I wanted people, this was great because they, it's nothing like seeing a great horror movie in a, in a movie theater full of people who are all connected and get it. Mm -hmm. um, and that was what Blackula was for me. But then as I revisited it over time, as I got older, I saw some of the problematic aspects of it that sort of walk with black exploitation in general. Mm -hmm. And I always said if I had an opportunity to redo either the film or somehow have some role in working with this character in the late great William Marshall, I would take a shot at doing it. And the opportunity manifested itself and they had Blackula. Yeah. I've read Blackula, Return of the King. It's a oh, fantastic graphic Thank novel. You. I love Thank it. You very much. I have a question. Um, were you at all? So basically, William Marshall is Blackula. I mean, he yes. embodies that character. He brought it to life. He brought that character to life. Without William Marshall, I don't think there would be a Blackula. Oh, no. no, 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 no. You <laughs> needed. He was the other shade of Bella Lugosi. Welcome back to Inside Black Hollywood. We're sitting here talking to William Marshall, who is not only a theatrical performer, but also a motion picture star. Now, William, in following your career, I noticed that you are very particular about the properties that you choose. And several of the properties that you have performed in motion pictures have been Blackula, with the sequel, which would be Scream, Blackula, Scream. Why did you come about to choosing those two properties? What attracted you to them? Well, number one, they were offered to me by the producer. And after having read them, I thought that they really were such garbage that uh, I needed to do something, <laughs> if I could, to raise the level of the quality of it. And I was allowed to do that. I must give all credit to American International for uh, permitting that thing to happen. Uh, Blackula is a man who came from Africa, yes, and he was in Transylvania, not knowing that he was in the presence of a vampire, on the business of his people, that is to say, to put an end to slavery. And in the original story, that was not there, so that was one of the uh, investments I was allowed to make. So together with Vanetta McGee, who played my wife, we were there as two diplomats to try and convince them that this was a condition that needed to be ended. You know, he had... Absolutely the gravitas he had the cape he had what could have been incredibly campy he turned what could be incredibly campy into something that was respectable and i think he carried that movie i mean yeah. it was weird because the first 10 minutes of it were so cool to me and so purposeful because you know he was coming to try to stop the slave trade and he's going to dracula who's this dignitary and just like that turns him into a vampire and uh, which stayed with me obviously if you read the book mm -hmm. and after that even somehow making it to south central um you know, and the, the other aspect of the plot line, which I wasn't as attracted to, it was almost like it was there to sort of service the idea of him being a vampire and, you know, predominantly black community. Mm -hmm. But still, even with that, he was able to create some really horrifying moments that he took incredibly seriously. Yeah. And without really a reference point, like, there aren't other movies like this in order for him to look at and say, I'm going to play it differently than Frank That's Langella so or Bella Lugosi or Christopher Lee or any of these other people. He's the first guy 
doing this. So, you know, he can look to those movies. But, you know, as far as a way of creating a bridge between what's been done on the other side into here, I thought he was incredibly um, charismatic and um, horrifying. I'm curious. So you wrote this this graphic novel, Black the Return of the King, which continues the story of Prince Mabawaldi. Were you at all intimidated about putting words into Blackula's mouth, knowing that you had William Marshall as the bar, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Was that all intimidating? Was in the back of your mind like I have to, I have to nail this? Not really, because I knew the story I wanted to tell. My confidence in telling a story comes from knowing the story. Mm-hmm. Anytime, anytime I sort of, I mean, this has been rolling around in my head since I was a kid. So I sort of have had an opportunity to knead it and work it out, and you know, sure. I would do this, I would do that, and then build up my level of competency as a writer and um sort of and i've been writing you know graphic novels for a minute now so it was so i knew what it was jason sean alexander who illustrates it fabulous artist thanks he um he uh does Philadelphia with me the my other vampire uh series and so we know each other's moves you know we i know what it is that you know he does it well and i think he compliments my work as well and so my confidence really lay more in that, that, okay, it's going to look good. Um, and I have an idea of the basic building blocks of what the story would be. And then it was just a matter of trying to make an homage, but not so much of an homage that you feel like you're just regurgitating the same stuff. It doesn't come off that at all. Um, I love how it, it picks up the threads from the first two movies and it flows and mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was talking to Stephen Bissett, who did the after. Yes, yes, yeah. he did it. Yes, yes. Yeah, he, uh, he comes. Job. He's come on Cradle to the Crave a couple of times, and I told him I was interviewing you today. He told me to tell you hi. <laughs> yes, love he Stephen said Bissett. he's like yeah, Blackula was. He loved the graphic novel. He loved how it just it 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 the narrative just flows like you. I could tell that you were confident going into this. You know, you're writing, um, you're writing this character with a lot of love. And it's it's there on the page. You can tell you. that you have a great passion for this character. I cannot wait for part two. <laughs> I cannot wait to write it. Working with trying to find some other seventies iconic characters to add to it. This I want to ask. I want to ask a question. I want you to spoil it, but then again, I don't want you to spoil it because you know how the book ends, right? The, the yep. last. I w- I want to know what's going to happen. I want to know who you're going to bring back, but. Then again, I don't want to know. So, so yeah. don't tell me. <laughs> yes. One is obvious, you know, because we get an answer. But as far as on the on the antagonist side, I think it's obvious. On the protagonist side, I'd love to be able to sort of revisit my childhood and some of the things we talked about earlier yeah. in the conversation. Um, you must be having a blast. You must be having a blast riding this. Oh, stuff. yeah. This is because, you know, my primarily my day job is working on TV shows and movies. So I'm sort of bound by networks and studios and they create, you know, whatever um, they give me the space in which to work in, but I have barriers and boundaries that I have to work within. When I do this stuff, I'm just writing. So I'm writing from the heart. It's just from the heart. It's all pure. You know, I, I do that with the other work too, but invariably I have to take notes from people and change things and move things around. It's not as idealistic as I'd love it to be, but um 
but yeah this is that's the that's the beauty of the comic book medium Mm -hmm. is it's it all comes from pretty much a singular source the writer of course you're going to have a team up with the artist who's going to who's going to you know envision what you are writing but it all it's all comes from here man and so that's mm-hmm. that's cool i love I, and I've, I've had a lot of uh comic book professionals come on kelly jones mm-hmm. uh, Stephen Bissett, like i mentioned joelle jones um what are some of your favorite horror comics that can you point to any i know you mentioned Tomb swamp thing saga the swamp thing oh is, yeah i have that in my of, notes i mean right here Ugh, sorry to go off camera but that's all I right. Keep this, uh, there you go. There uh, it is. There it is. Absolute luck. swamp thing. Yeah, uh, just for like for osmosis to kind of like a, you know, a uh, a good luck charm to keep that near me at all times to make sure I'm staying in a good place. Yeah. Um, Saga of the Swamp Thing issues number thirty eight and thirty nine. The underwater vampire. Oh yeah. Oh my god, I remember that. <laughs> oh the, man, the blue that... one. And the, the so kids good. that went swimming, like, stand by me, and, you know, they turn, and the mother comes down to the side. She's like, you get back in here. And it's like, no, mom. You so I was a kid in, you know, yeah. 1980, that, that came out in, like, 84 or something around yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and I, I used to go down to the corner store, my corner market, and they had the comic spinner rack. Yep. And I was collecting Atari for us at the time. I don't know if you remember Atari for us. I do. It, I do. Uh, that was my favorite comic. And that had ended. And I was bummed because I... Uh, what am I going to collect now? So I'm flipping through the spin rack and I see this cover of this hand reaching up through an egg. It looked yep. like, I don't know, some kind of alien. It's Saga of the Swamp Thing by yep. Alan Moore, Stephen Bissett, and John Toddleton. All right, I'll, I'm going to check this out. And that was that was the book, man. That was the issue. Issue number 39 that sucked me into that world. And I've been a fan ever since, a fan of comics. Um, and it's been, you know, so awesome to actually talk to Stephen Bissett and, 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 you know, who is one of my heroes. Um, but that, those, those issues, that comic in the eighties, I mean, is there anything better than the saga? And the beautiful thing thing for you is once you discovered that there were like 13 issues before that, that you can Mm -hmm. go back to from anatomy lesson all the way up, um, you know, through the end, but those were incredible. I mean, we could talk about groundbreaking, like when we were talking about the Salem's Lot miniseries and Colshack. Swamp Thing was that for me as well. I mean, there were things that their ability, both with the word, Alan Moore's words, but visually with Total Ben and Bissett's ability to make the swamp kind of come alive and make mm-hmm. Swamp Thing kind of come alive. I think it's actually, you know, Ram V um is doing a great job right now and some other people have i like ram v's take on swamp thing yeah, yeah. nancy collins and i think scott snyder and some other people have yep. come in and done some good work but i think alan moore and those guys sort of haunted swamp thing like it was such a hard act to follow it's kind of like the sopranos like it's hard to do a <laughs> crime family well show. a lot i mean they're still referencing stuff in the comics today the green the hap- and the parliament of trees and all of that and alan stuff. moore created they're still going back to that well constantine and <laughs> you know all of this uh woodrow you know yep. uh, all of those things um you yeah. know that pog episode issue excuse me issue where he finds out um no that the was little, with the alien the little alien guy one, the little alien guy but that was with sean mcmanus i think yep. drew that one but there was another one where he had to go dig up uh, Alec Holland and Baron gave him that a That was also burial. drawn by Sean McManus. It's called The okay. Burial. Yeah, there you go. The Burial. And uh, I own some of those original pages. Um, oh, really? Uh, yeah, I've gone oh. like 
three or four pages. So good. I can't believe I paid 75 cents for those comics. Man. Like, oh, that was, that oh, was yeah. high. That was high art. I had no idea. I mean, I look I, back now. I look back now and I realize that it changed my life. I, I didn't realize what I was reading at the time was, was that sophisticated. I had a, um, when I was in Baltimore for the Chris Rock thing, I went with Jason, Jason Sean Alexander. And so I'm telling him about my childhood when the first comic book store um, was Jeppy's Comic World in the Inner Harbor. And a buddy of mine, Frank Brown, he would drive from, we drive, he had a car. And so he would drive from Annapolis to the Inner Harbor. And I would have like 25, 30 bucks. And you had the George Perez Teen Titans. You had the Claremont Byrne X-Men. You yes. had the Alan Moore, this. You had Jim Starlin's Warlock. You had, you know, Burns' um, Avengers. You had, like, every Dare- Miller's Daredevil. You had all of this stuff. And I would have a so stack good. of comic books and could read for days these incredibly historic moments. And you don't know it yeah, at the Dennis, time. Dennis Cowan on the question. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Sinkevich, so, Sinkevich. I mean, uh, Moon Knight and, you know, virtually a bunch of other things Incredible well. stuff. And it was like a moment, you know, I was talking to Pat Oswalt about this, and um, we were saying how, like, comics were supposed to be disposable entertainment. Like, that's why they were 20 cents a quarter, 30 cents. And they became important, you know? Mm-hmm. And for me... I grew up, I'm I'm a little older than you. And so I was a Neil Adams cover guy. That was the thing that grabbed mm. me was Neil Adams, Batmans and Green Lanterns. And anytime he did a cover, I didn't know what this was, but I knew I loved it. Sure. Um, and then they sort of evolved into literature. You know, they became this yeah. other thing with, um, like I said, Miller and Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman, you know, and a bunch of other guys. Yeah. They became more adult in a way. And they forced you, you know, you get the Sandman and Miracle Man and mm-hmm. all of this stuff and uh, Watchmen and V for Vendetta. And it's it's starting to challenge your brain as a young person in a way that school wasn't challenging my brain in that way. And so <laughs> comics sort of played a really, really big role in my life. It really did. Like eight, 1986, man, everything changed. You had the Watchmen, you had the Dark Knight Returns. You had- yep. Oh, I remember that. I remember buying the Dark Knight Returns and saying, oh my God. There's like, never been another year level. like that. And nope. I've been collecting since 83. Yep. You know, I still collect. I, I went to my comic book store today, picked up some comics. And it's just not, I still love comics. There's still great cre- creators out there. I'm you here. I've got the Iron What do you, you got there? It's like, oh, uh, you got the Iron Fist. Uh, I bought like I go to the the wall like in Earth Two Comics. It's like uh, he's got nice. the bronze and silver age wall, <laughs> and I look up that they're on the wall more than I look down sometimes to get the old. But you stuff. know what I'm talking about, like it, I, do. Oh, I do. I missed. That. I mean, I'm I'm glad I was around for those days. You know, me too. Just amazing me too. stuff. Amazing creators. You're doing amazing stuff. Um, Thank you. I, I love. I love the Black and the Graphic novel. I can't wait for the next one to come out. I could talk comic book comic books with you all night but unfortunately Likewise. we're running out we're running out of zoom time yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so rodney i really appreciate you coming on i know you're a busy guy thank you again it was great thank to chat with me. you about likewise war. thank you this has been fantastic look forward to doing it again awesome